Hello, my name is Conrad Kinch and this is Send 3 and 4 pence, a semi-regular podcast about gaming, books and the law as we shamble hopefully towards eternity. To paraphrase Noel Coward, it is extraordinary how potent cheap violence is. These days I'm more of a wargamer than a roleplayer, though I still play the odd game occasionally. But as I get older, I think it's really quite interesting just how many role-playing games are intimately tied up with violence and cheap violence at that. Um, I've been talking with uh, Menian over at Confessions of a, a, a Wee Timorous Bushy about this, and I've been trying to sort of marshal my thoughts on violence in RPGs. Uh, and when I say cheap violence, I mean violence that's done without thought and without consequence. So the sort of thing where parties of adventurers just gaily slaughter orcs without a care in the world and without likely much risk either. Now, this sort of thing is fun in a computer game because it's quick, it's colourful, there's an element of skill involved. But in an RPG where you're rolling dice, um, it can quickly become dull and is the sort of cheap drama that I think robs the game of things that could be a real interest. Now I'm well aware that I'm a minority in this, but I think you can have some interesting games when you think about how you handle violence in RPGs a little differently. Um, now, I want to make one thing absolutely clear at the outset. I'm not for a moment suggesting that we should try and excise conflict or combat from our games. That's self-evidently ridiculous. Um, I mean, if for no other reason than you know, uh, just the sheer um, power fantasy of just running around whacking things with the stonking great Warhammer is uh, tremendous fun at times. But I think what we should do is we should take a leaf out of Jet Li's book, which I, I watched an interview with uh, Jet Li, who, if you're not familiar, is a, a tremendously accomplished martial arts um, uh, actor. Um, and he was being interviewed by a, a journalist about one of his films. And in the course of the interview, he, he complimented the scriptwriter. Now, the interview seemed quite surprised at this. And Jet Li went on to say that the story in a martial arts film is very important. Now, he said that it should be simple, it should be easily understood, and it should have emotional resonance for the audience. Because without it, a martial arts film is just two hours of men punching each other. And that gets boring after a while. Now, if Jet Li a man who spent his youth and practically his entire adult life punching people um, for a living, uh, says that it, it can get, it, it can pull uh, after a bit. There might be something, there might be something to this. Um, now, that's not to say that, viol I mean, violence is glamorous and interesting, particularly if you're playing a game and don't have to feel the fear or spill the blood yourself. But if there's no meaning behind that violence, it's ultimately sterile. So I think when we do think about combat in an RPG, we should try and think of it as part of a larger whole. And I think you should try and invest it with meaning and consequence. Now, I suppose in large part, my attitude to this is shaped by the fact that my seminal RPG was Call of Cthulhu. Um, and in Call of Cthulhu, the protagonists aren't brawny warriors or wizards or things, but sort of bumbling librarians and uh, the odd private eye and, you know, uh, dilettantish uh, academics more often than not. And a fight for a Cthulhu investigator is a life and death struggle uh, and not something that happens along the way to the next pile of gold. It is, you know, it is a major event. Um, so 
if you are running an RPG, here are some of the things that I think are worth bearing in mind when you're thinking about combat and how to deal with combat in your RPGs. So first off, I'd like to talk a bit about risk. Now, adventurers um, in the classical sense are gamblers. You know, they, they pit their wits, their courage and their skill against the odds to win great rewards um, rather than, you know, sort of building great buildings or, uh, you know, composing symphonies or uh, building or working in hospitals or, you know, sort of uh, achieving glory in, in some other uh, less dramatic but, uh, you know, um, uh, less stabby way. Um, so it's it's very important for them to be strong, uh, brave and clever. And if they're not clever, you as a GM, you, you should probably kill them. Um, or actually, that that's an exaggeration. It's it's not exactly true, but you shouldn't prevent them from dying. I, um, poker is a game that's only fun when it's played for money. Without the investment, uh, if you've ever played poker not for money or just for matchsticks, it it becomes completely irrelevant because people have nothing at stake. So, th without the investment of money, play becomes distorted and boring because there is nothing at risk. Uh, I suppose to, to quote the uh, the twenty first century uh, philosopher princess uh, Lady Gaga, um, if it isn't rough, it isn't fun. Um, on a related note, actually, having checked my copy of Burke's Peerage, I could not locate a listing for the lady in question. Hers is um, perhaps a Jacobite or maybe even a Continental title, but I digress. In a role-playing game, the players, or I assume the players aren't playing for money, but they do have an investment in the game, and that investment is their character. Particularly in horror games, the threat becomes diluted if the players feel that there's nothing at stake, and their investment, that is their character, is in no danger. But also, the flip side of that is that if you run the sort of stereotypical ridiculous Cthulhu game where you've got like a, a, a refill pad full of character sheets and you know oh my my um my uh concert pianist uh, character has been eaten by a shoggoth and I'll just tear off the top that, that character sheet and write you know John Wilkinson the second at the top of the next one and on we go if the, there is a, a happy medium to be achieved here in that there must be enough risk that there is a thrill in surviving combat and conflict, but the combat should not be so deadly that the death is meaningless and irrelevant because there's nothing you can do about it or it's, um, it's, uh, it's just something that the player has no control over. You know, you have to find a... Uh, a sort of a, a happy middle ground between the two. Um, so in that case, what as a GM, what I'd say is roll the dice in the open so the players can see what's happening and that everything is above board because sort of real combat involves real risk. Um, so to win when the, deck, when the deck is unfairly stacked in your favour, if the GM's fudging rolls and sort of going easy on you, it just robs victory of its savour and... I think it just sort of makes the entire endeavor kind of meaningless. Now I'm aware of the old saw that says that D and D fourth and fifth edition treats combat as a sport, but earlier editions 
treated as war. And I think there's a lot to be said for that uh, approach. Um, my longest running campaign was a GURPS uh, Second World War game uh, set on the Eastern Front. <coughs> the players were uh, Razvedcheke, which were uh, Soviet uh, long-range reconnaissance troops who often cooperated with partisan forces behind German lines. So the campaign itself was, was set in, in Belarus in sort of 42, 43-ish. Uh, uh, but the players got involved in a combat in the third session and that particular combat finished with one character on death's door, another badly injured and a major NPC dead, uh, which completely monkey, uh, which as a side note, completely mon monkey wrenched my plan for the campaign because I'd essentially decided that I was going to run it as kind of a, a Charlie's Angels uh, kind of thing where there was uh, a sort of an authority figure who would just dole out missions to the NPCs and of course they went and got him bloody killed um, before he, they, they'd actually managed to make contact with the partisans that they were meant to be uh, guiding but anyway they didn't get involved in another fight for a month they laid low they conducted an awful lot of reconnaissance they made contact with the partisans they worked out what the Germans were up to in the region and then started making plans um, but, you know, after that fight, the next fight they got into was four game weeks later. And even then they made sure that the enemy was asleep before they blew up the building. They took no chances whatsoever. Now, one of the players nearly left the game because he spent six weeks real time recovering from his injuries or his, char his character did. But he recovered and he never wandered blithely into a fight again. And he, he took things incredibly seriously. But thereafter, the players were more canny. They were more watchful. They treated combat as a deadly event. Now, one of the advantages of that approach was that there were now no filler encounters. Every skirmish was treated as the life and death kind of thing that it actually is. Um, and... You know, I, I found that a tremendously rewarding uh, way of, of, of approaching things. And uh, apparently my players did too. Okay, so I've spoken about risk. So I'd like to talk now about consequences. Now, consequences are somewhat different from risk in that risk is represents sort of a threat to the player character. While consequences uh, is more what is the fallout of the action that has taken place and what has changed as a result of the combat. And when you think about it, RPG combat is simultaneously too deadly and not deadly enough um, because in an, in an RPG combat, you know, your average first level fighter can probably take two whacks of a sword before he's, he's in serious trouble. Um, but people hang around to fight. I mean, most RPG battles are lethal and have casualty rates that, you know, would put the Battle of the Somme to shame. Um, I mean, if you look, uh, if you look at, let's say, the Battle of Gettysburg, actually, that's a bad example. Um, let's think about sort of something that, that, that's, that's more like your, your standard um, RPG encounter. If you consider uh, footage that you may have seen of riots, you'll see uh, one or more police serials that sort of six to eight lads with batons and shields um, versus you know any number of 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 rioters or uh, police public order units dealing with um, 
public disorder. There's a lot of intimidation that takes place at the beginning of the fight and often the intimidation is the fight in its entirety. So RPG combat tends to escalate to lethal conflict incredibly quickly um, and people hang around. I mean, if you, uh, as uh, Nathaniel Bedford Forrest, um, the uh, American um, Confederate rebel uh, uh, cavalry commander said that sort of it's very important to, to uh, keep the scare on uh, when one is fighting. The, uh, the idea is, is to sort of rattle the enemy right at the beginning of the, of, of the, the point, convince him that he cannot win and get him running because uh, it's a lot easier to shoot a man in the back than it is when he's looking at you over the barrel of a gun. Um, I mean, if you've read your John Keegan, uh, The Face of Battle, it, most of the actual killing, particularly in medieval and ancient battles, takes place in the rout. When people are running away, they have their backs to the enemy and, you know, you let loose your cavalry and you're just, you're just cutting chaps down. Um, who aren't really defending themselves, they're just trying to get away. Um, and in RPG combat, there is... Some people use morale, um, but there is a... I, I, I haven't seen it used much, and I tend to find that in RPG combats, the combatants hang around... A lot longer than they should because they the sort of people make a rational decision or you know goblins make a rational decision and they look around and they go well my friend over there is dead and my friend over there is badly wounded it's not looking good for us i should get out of here now there's a certain i suppose because the the combat is so small scale uh just on a, a side note and this is sort of if you look at a footage of a riot and you see where police charge in and rioters start dispersing. The route starts from the back. It's not the guys at the, the guys at the front tend to hang around because they have something to do because the, 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 the an opponent is coming at them. But the people at the back are making a rational decision and going, I might not hang around. Actually, I have um, just have a copy of C.S. Lewis's The Last Battle um, here. Uh, and he made a point in it, which I thought was quite good. He said that, uh, in a way, it wasn't quite so bad as you might think. When you're, you, you are using every muscle to the full, ducking under a spear point here, leaping over it there, lunging forward, drawing back, wheeling around, you haven't much time to feel frightened or sad. Tyrion knew he could do nothing for the others now. They were all doomed together. So when your character is actively actually engaged... Um, that's, uh, you know, they, they, they probably aren't going to fail morale because they're, they're too busy to be scared. Um, at the other hand, people who aren't engaged might just get out of there. Um, the other thing that tends to happen is people fight to the death, which I, is baffling to me in some ways. Um, now I understand it because, um, it, it makes sense from a mechanical perspective. But uh, if you look at, um, at uh, sort of battle statistics, you almost always have more wounded than dead. 
you know, the, the, the wounded are out, outnumbered the dead, uh, you know, uh, by a great deal. So generally speaking, when you've, when you've slashed that orc across the chest and he hits the deck and he's bleeding out, he should be putting his hands up and, and, and trying to surrender. Um, and that is a consequence of a, of a combat. Uh, so what are you going to do with the wounded? I mean, one of the, the, the things that became sort of abundantly clear in our Eastern Front Second World War game was that the boys were not interested in taking prisoners. Now, that was, well, not exclusively. I mean, if they took prisoners, it was to a purpose in that they were, had been instructed to capture someone or they wanted someone to, to get intelligence from them. But they did not keep prisoners, and that is sort of uh, representative of the brutality of the Eastern Front. But uh, unless you're adventurers are sort of total monsters i mean uh, what are they going to do if a bunch of goblins throw down their arms and go we give up boss uh, now in the ancient world those people were often enslaved um, or they were taken prisoner or they were ransomed you know that is a uh, a, a a bright lad with you know a gm with two brain cells to rub together should be rubbing his hands together right now uh, thinking of uh, medieval combat because if you let's say you're you're fighting a nobleman and uh, you know he's got armor so he's quite hard to kill but you can overwhelm him and if it becomes clear that he's going to die he will put his hands up offer parley and look to be ransomed and if you can't knock a couple of sessions out of uh, the uh, you know RPG possibilities of having to deal with a high value prisoner that's worth a huge amount of gold to you um uh this may not be the hobby for you you should you should you should be able to find um uh find uh something to do with that you know there's there's lots of interesting things are you going to ransom the prisoners are you going to kill them all that's that's a possibility i mean if you're in a situation where you know you're you're uh as um that British para officer uh, famously put in uh, a bridge too far. I'm terribly sorry, but we don't have the facility to take you all prisoner. Um, are you going to put them to the sword? Because that is uh, that is definitely a choice. I can't imagine the paladins in the party are going to be looking very kindly on that, um, at least if they have any decency. Um, and that sort of thing gets about. Um, so if you uh, if you have a um uh, a group of adventurers who sort of put people who surrender in good faith to the sword that is that 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 reputation is going to dog them i mean uh it's like that line in in uh, henry v you know to slay the boys and baggage tis expressly against the custo- art and customs of war i cannot do a welsh accent but um uh just just assume that is the, the best rendering of fluellen that i that i can do um but disregarding morale, disregarding the wounded and disregarding prisoners, there is another thing that, that should be borne in mind as a consequence of combat is heat. Um, and when I say heat, I mean sort of attention focused on you because no well-ordered society and not even any particularly disordered society wants to deal with people who are randomly getting into fights if they can possibly avoid it. So... Ultimately, if you are involved in a row in a tavern with, you know, Ragnar Blackmane 
the 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 terror of the fourteen hills, um, it probably won't matter to the local city watch that, you know, he started it or you know you did you acted in good faith. There will come a point when they're just they will just go. We we don't want to deal with you anymore. Um, you know, you keep on bringing this sort of total, uh, this this violence to our town, and maybe you you should try and seek lodging elsewhere. Um, now, the interesting thing about that is, is that you can, in some ways, knit that into your setting. I mean, so if you look at the Viking sagas or, um, you know, uh, the Norse had, uh, ways of dealing with interpersonal violence, like dueling, uh, as was the case in sort of Western Europe up until relatively recently. Uh, I believe the last one was in France in 1962. I could be wrong on that. Um, But there were uh, socially acceptable ways of channeling violence in such a way that it caused the least societal disruption. Um, And uh, I think player characters who are in medieval or sort of faux medieval settings should probably have a think about that um, if they don't want to, to sort of have the city watch at their door or various uh, the, the authorities going, okay, you, you haven't attacked us uh, specifically, but your actions are destabili- destabilizing our society and it's, um, we, we're, we're going to take action to sort of try and, 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 uh, and move you on. But uh, so in terms of consequences, there are a number of different things that that, that can happen as a result of of RPG combat. So going back to an earlier point, the continuum of force. Now, the continuum of force is that you there is a, a sort of a spectrum of force. And right up at the top, you have lethal force. So that's guns, knives fireballs, uh, tactical nuclear weapons, and so on. And down at the bottom, you have sort of negotiation, uh, harsh language. And in the middle, you probably have, uh, you know, unarmed combat or wrestling someone or... Um, so there are options open to players and also to GMs. Um, a... One of the things that I find sort of extraordinary about the sort of the ten watch is that the ten watch is always loaded for bear. Um, it's always like we've got lots of crossbows and uh, you know we've got wizards with fireballs, and we're just gonna start something that looks like a scene out of Braveheart in the middle of the town, uh, with a bunch of no name adventurers, uh, you know, that they don't sort of try doing other things first like for example massively outnumbering the the player characters that might be a thing that they could do or a thing that the players could do um you can have combat or conflict that falls short of absolute lethal force um you know as uh, as my uh, my friend and partner in crime general du gourmand uh, is so fond of saying um, in RPGs, I'd like to let off a warning shot directly through his head. Um, there are 
there are consequences, as I've said, to immediately resorting to lethal force uh, in any situation. And I think, I suppose, because of maybe the wargaming, um, the wargaming uh, roots of RPGs, or in some ways the wish fulfillment aspect of, of RPGs, players often immediately jump to lethal force. Now, there are games, uh, Savage Worlds being one that, um, that uh, leaps to mind here, where there is an intimidation mechanic. And if that's the case, that's probably something you should think about. Uh, and not only that the player should, uh, should be looking to do to NPCs, but something that you should be looking to do to the players. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that, that is, uh, that, you know, you can sort of go, well, I have a mechanical way of dealing, uh, of, of sort of shocking players or, uh, shocking player characters. So in Savage Worlds, you can do an intimidation attack and that sort of puts a state on, uh, on, on someone. So you can shake them, which means that they, that they don't get to act. So what you could do is you could have, uh, an NPC turn up, do an intimidation attack on someone, and then while the players or player characters aren't in a position to um uh you know to act, swoop in with lots more NPCs and swarm them. Um and you know, don't use this as a as a as, as a way of rob robbing the players of their agency, but just sort of go, well, these guys, they're not here to kill you, but they just like you to leave town. Or they just like you to go and talk to the king or something like that. And that's something that the players should look at too. I mean, uh, there's, a, there's a very good reason. I mean, if, you've, if you're interested in, in uh, 19th century black powder tactics, I can't recommend a chap uh, called Brent Noseworthy um, who wrote a book uh, called Napo- tactics, Battle Tactics of Napoleon and His Enemies. Um, it is really fantastic. But he talked about the very careful use that experienced Napoleonic officers made of the psychological resources of their men. So one of the things that the French cavalry would do was that they would draw swords late in a cavalry charge or that, they, that, that the drawing of swords would be a, uh, a psychologically significant event for the people on the receiving end. So you would have this cavalry unit in front of you and they would all draw swords together and you'd have this sort of swing, um, the, the noise of the, 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 the sabres coming out of the scabbards, this big three-foot-long razor being produced in front of you and lots of them. Um, the British did a, a very similar thing with, uh, uh, the, um, with their own uh, infantry where the command was to stay silent. The French always cheered in the attack. The British did not. They stayed absolutely silent on the way in because they discovered that, uh, particularly from the American Revolution, that those on the receiving end found that quite um, intimidating. So you would have this line of red-coated men coming towards you in total silence, marching closer and closer and closer. And then they would get quite close, they would discharge one volley, they would give three cheers, and then they'd charge with a bayonet. That there, there wouldn't be a sort of a gradual escalation of force, it would be a sudden, intimidating attack, bayonets coming at you, and hopefully uh, the, um, 
that you, you would, uh, you would decide to make yourself scarce. Um, so think about using less lethal options and also sort of reward the players for using non-lethal options. I mean, if they're involved with an NPC and that there, there's going to be a conflict there and the players suddenly let off, you know, one big fireball, those goblins might just head off. Okay, maybe one or two goblins got burned by the fireball, but they're, they're looking at the PCs and, gone, and going, this game is not worth the candle, I'm going to head off. And there is a, um, there is a, a spectrum of violence there. That so you can go from intimidation, and bear in mind, I mean, even when you're contemplating lethal force, I mean, uh, now that the fascinating modern world in which we live, we have conventional war, and then we have a uh, sort of nuclear war. So, most countries are prepared for some kind of conventional war, but they will not. No one is contemplating nuclear war, which is the, the, the acme of lethal force. You know, there are, there are countries that have fought, you know, life or death struggles, um, but they have not resorted to the most violence that they, that they can use, like, for example, poison gas. There are things that people will not do or will choose not to do because uh, they're, they're worried that they'll be done back, it'll be done back to them. And uh, that's something that you might want to think about in your RPG, okay? That uh, the players don't have to use every lethal resource that they have at their disposal. Um, and that often merely the threat of force is sufficient to achieve a goal. Okay, so if you're not going to lean heavily on combat as a means of uh, providing drama for your game. What are you going to do? And there's a lot of sort of different things you can do. I mean, there's a whole indie games based around sort of managing interpersonal conflict and, uh, you know, sort of games based around, um, oh, I don't know, someone's deteriorating marriage or, you uh, you know, the emotional lives of taxi drivers. And I, I'll be honest, that doesn't particularly appeal to me. But um, for them as likes that sort of thing, that is exactly the sort of thing that they like. Um, but when I was running my, my GURP Second World War Eastern Front game, this presented me with a great deal of problems because real soldiers don't fight all the time. In fact, they har fight hardly ever. Um, but the players had an expectation that stuff was going to happen and that's perfectly reasonable. I, I didn't want to to um, to run a game that was just them polishing their boots for, for six months. And secondly, people die in fights. And if you're not distorting the rules of the game in order to favor the characters, attrition is going to set in very quickly. And, you know, you can't entertain or even frighten the party if they're all dead. Um, so this left me vainly scrabbling for means of providing dramatic tension that didn't revolve having some sort of uh, Schubert-loving swine walk through the door with a Schmeisser every week. Um, so I had to find other ways of, uh, of challenging the party. So environmental threats are an excellent way of, of, of doing this, but they 
they don't necessarily have to be physical. So some of the 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 things that happened to my players during the uh, during the game was they got interrogated by the NKVD. Those are the delightful little chaps who grew up to become the KGB after one of their missions failed. This was extremely fraught. There wasn't a shot fired in the entire session. It was run as an interrogation and uh, the lads had, uh, you know, that was, it was, it was deadly in that there was, an, there was a sense of menace throughout the entire session, but there weren't, but, uh, you know, there was no actual combat. And that was a really satisfying um, uh, game. Then we had a miniatures-based mini-game where they had to sneak through a line of German outposts. Now, the there was threat there and there was the possibility of combat, but they were six guys trying to sneak through barbed wire and minefields surrounded by heavy machine guns and mortars. So the thing was is that if a combat was initiated, there was only going to be one result and they were going to be annihilated. So... Um, we we focused on uh stealth we focused on reading ground we uh made extensive use of miniatures and um to sort of check lines of sight or so that the players could try and read the ground in front of them because they sort of would get down to the miniatures eye level and go well because i i placed a white sheet over books and they go well okay well there's a there's a sort of a, a covered way that way that we can we can make up but uh, that was a really entertaining um uh session and actually a, a gimmick that i used in that session was that the player characters could only speak as loudly as the uh, sorry the players could only speak as loudly as they wanted their player characters to speak so the 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 entire session was almost con entirely conducted in a whisper and that just was incredibly atmospheric and it, it worked really well um another one was uh one of the characters had to salvage what he could from a compromised supply dump um and he had very limited time to do that so he was brought into a room with a collection of business cards that i I had blank business cards that I had and on the top side of the business card was written a, a description of the container and the weight and written on the bottom was what each container contained and he could grab as many cards as his character could physically carry or pass up through the, the, the hole in the basement that they, they were concealed in in four minutes but each card he turned over would incur a 20 second penalty and um, that was a it was sort of a heist kind of uh, kind of thing where again the players were faced with overwhelming force where they had to they had to get um uh these supplies out of an enemy enemy occupied town and uh they you know had very limited time so there wasn't actually any shooting that i can recall but uh it was quite tense and they had to make decisions and about what they were going to do and what they could take and what they could leave behind and how much time they had to spend. It worked really well and I was very pleased with it. Another one which is, again, particular to Dungeons & Dragons is there's uh, exploration. It's a long and honourable tradition in D&D &D, uh, of dungeon and wilderness explore exploration and there's a lot to be gained for that. Um, you just need to make sure that there are things for your players to explore and obstacles for, the, for them to overcome that don't immediately involve sticking a sword in something. I mean, as a as a boy, I was always fascinated by the opening chapters of H. Rider Haggard's King Solomon's Mines, 
um, which included a, a, a incredibly evocative map on the uh, on the end papers, as uh, that you know was used by Alan Quatermain and the boys to make their way to Kukwana Island. Um, so they have a map. It's not accurate, and they have to exercise their judgment to survive this deadly environment where they've limited water, they've limited food, their ability to travel is limited. They have to make decisions based on limited information, and I'd love to run that in a game someday. Um, I know that Space 1889 has rules for exploring uncharted territory, as does the AD&D Wilderness Survival Guide, which, if memory served, is much beloved of many of the Confessions of the Wee Timmers Bushy podcast. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that there's, there's a lot to be there's a lot to be gained there. There's a lot of different things that you can do with exploration that don't necessarily involve duffing up the inhabitants and stealing their stuff. Um, and lastly, uh, just to finish, I'd like to leave you with an idea that I've used before and found very successful um, in, a, in a game that features uh, uh, combat. Um, because... I always sort of think of a GM in a role-playing game as being a bit like uh, God in some ways. He must generate and engage the players in the world that he creates around them. But, you know, unlike in horror survival games, uh, but sorry, in horror survival games or uh, games where that you have that sort of knife edge uh, of, um, of danger, unlike God, he must be cruel, uncaring, utterly indifferent to suffering and that's that's useful up to a point and um, but it lacks a certain je ne sais quoi um, and in short the kind of malice that you only get when a human is given free will and sent out into the world um, because it's incredibly easy for the GM to kill the, to kill uh, player characters and um, to do so in a way that is you know uh, keeps the game interesting but you know, isn't seen as cheap, um, is uh, is difficult, and this is one way I've got around it. I used this trick during a Savage Worlds campaign I ran called the Halberdiers. Uh, the player characters were all subalterns in a line infantry regiment in Sir John Moore's army during the retreat from Spain to Corona in 1808. Uh, so this was... Um, a game that was heavily informed by uh, Alan Mallinson's uh, Matthew Hervey novels and the Sharp novels of Bernard Cornwell. In fact, if you if you think of the the Sharp novels, uh, you know, sort of Sharp is this honest, upright, um, you know, chap up from the ranks, and the rest of the uh, the rest of the the the, the car officers are all these sort of sneering, Weasley fellas uh, in the corner trying to purchase um uh command and uh, climb the greasy pole the player my players were all playing those guys uh but uh so they've retreated through spain they're they're now in la coruña um and it's the, the finale of the campaign and i decided because this was the finale of the campaign and because savage worlds really supports that 
um, I'd set up this big board in the pub where we were playing and I parceled out character figures and some NPCs so they, the, the, they would have their individual officer character and then they would have some, some uh, troops under their command. And we were playing in a club that had its own bar uh, or the, the club met in a pub which had its own bar and everything was sort of relaxed and good fellowship. But um, the mood changed somewhat when I drafted in some of the local war gamers to command the French. And I put a two-pint bounty on each of the player characters. So I had three uh, of the, the lads from the local war games uh, fraternity playing the French. And if they managed to kill one of the player characters, I would buy that man two pints. Um, so this was, now bear in mind, this was a, a game I was running for 11 players. How I didn't have a nervous breakdown is completely beyond me anyway. But um, not only was the responsibility for commanding the bad guys taken out of uh, my hands, uh, but the NPCs had just been given real, motiva real motivation to go for the PCs. Now, what the players had sort of expected to be a walkover became this hard-fought, gritty battle with an enemy who was not there to provide a challenge or serve the in interests of narrative, but who was genuinely invested in killing you and... The result was a wonderful finale. It was one of the best sessions I've ever run. And uh, none of the player characters died, but they came very close. Um, but uh, the, the sort of the frisson that that, that challenge provided uh, was, uh, was really something. And if you have the opportunity, gentlemen, I would heartily recommend giving this a go. If you can... Uh, uh, I, I call this particular gimmick single serving malice and uh, it, it really works. Um, but if you, uh, if you have the chance, I, I would uh, recommend giving it a shot. Now, uh, in conclusion, I'm not trying to say, and I'll, I'll say it again, I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't have combat in our RPGs. But I'm just saying that we, we can be a bit more thoughtful about it um, because if it's our initial go-to, if it's always the first thing, well, it's an RPG session, there's going to be a fight. To go back to Jet Li's example, that can just get boring after a while. So you need for the, uh, the combat to have meaning, you need for it to be risky um, because with risk comes drama because the uh, the players have invested in their characters and their characters are at risk in this situation and it should have consequences because if it doesn't have consequences why are we doing it if, if there is no result other than butchering some goblins why bother um, and I think the consequences thing is my the thing that sort of sticks mostly in my mind. I mean, it uh, reminds me of an episode of the Adam West Batman series that I saw when I was a kid, which had a profound effect on me, which I didn't, uh, which looking back on it, it's, it seems a, a ridiculous thing to say about such a rid ridiculous program. Um, there is a, a plot in it where the penguin uh, can dehydrates his henchmen. He literally turns them into dust 
and they uh they they turn into this dust and then they, he sneaks them into Batman's bat cave and as soon as water touches the dust boom instant henchman and uh in the course of this plan you know he uses i think it's a ray or whatever means he uses to to create these dehydrated henchmen you get these the, the sort of five or six guys there and there's these just these little piles of dust and his his sidekick is sort of preparing to to package them up to to sneak them into um into uh Batman's hideout and the penguin he's using a little dustpan and brush and he's not being too uh too gentle about it and the penguin stops him and goes oh you be careful there they've all got a mudder uh and i suppose that is uh something you know uh even the lowliest bandit or uh town guardsman has you know mrs guardsman is waiting for him at home and uh you know if you leave his widow weeping on the porch um there may be there something may come of that and i think while uh violence in rpgs is often a great deal of fun because who 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 wouldn't want to sort of punch mutant zombie robots from beyond the stars um just maybe we we could think about it a little bit more deeply uh sometimes not all the time sometimes you just want to blow stuff up and uh and uh enjoy a a bit of simple wish fulfillment but um some of the most interesting rpg moments that i've had have come from taking that kind of rpg combat seriously and i think you can draw uh, a lot of fun and a lot of enjoyment from that and uh i hope you do too now this episode is almost entirely the fault of uh rob otherwise known as menian from the uh confessions of we timorous bushi uh podcast we got to talking on twitter about violence and rpgs and it's something of a hobby horse of mine as you may have grasped uh, at this stage and if you haven't well you haven't really been paying attention um but uh if you i'm i'm sure that uh a lot of people will have thoughts on this please let me know uh you you can find the the anchor widget if you're on anchor um you'll uh you'll you you can leave a message for me there and if you uh want to give me a piece of your mind uh, you conrad.kinch at gmail.com will find me um thanks very much for listening and uh i'll catch you at the next one you have been listening to send three and fourpence a semi-regular podcast about gaming books and the law If you enjoyed this podcast, please share, like and subscribe, and most importantly, tell your friends that you liked it. And if you didn't like this podcast, please like, share and subscribe, and most importantly, tell your friends that you liked it. Thank you and goodbye.